and you say, let's go down to the Food and Care Coalition and serve lunch to the homeless. And you're standing next to a Muslim and a Presbyterian and a Baha'i. And you find out they're really nice people. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. My guest today is Linda Walton, a Seventh-day Adventist who does so many different things, but it seems like they all have to do with communication, everything from being a chaplain to owning a public relations group. Did you always feel like you had to communicate with people and connect with people? Yes, I think so. I was uh, born in California, and it was rather integrated down there. And so we had all different kinds of people Uh, races, religions, whatever, and that was what you needed to do in order to to do well in school and to have friends and all of that. And your chaplain, was that something that was a long time coming? Did that surprise you when that finally came around, or did you kind of seek after that from the beginning? I had no idea. I had a church person call me saying that they would be interested in having me consider being a chaplain, and I said, are you kidding? You know, I'm not male. I don't have an MDiv. Let's go down the list. Uh, what are you thinking? What are you smoking? <laughs> and he says, fill out the paperwork and shut up, basically. And and I said, okay, then the committee will throw it out. You know, this guy mm-hmm. must be nuts. A few days later, I was approved. So I had no background in it whatsoever, except that I had been involved in a lot of organizations and, and knew a lot of people, that kind of thing. Was that new to be able to talk to people one-on-one about something so personal as belief in God? Not really, because I'd been in journalism and had been had worked for newspapers, etc. And uh, you're talking with politicians about what they're doing, or you're talking with the police chief about the murder that just happened or whatever. So there's a lot of really intimate conversations you're having all the time as a reporter. So it was pretty much the same kind of thing. And as far as some kind of belief, did you grow up that way? Did you believe in God as a child? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, My parents were both different religions, but they were both very interested in God and thought it was an important part of my life. And so that was how I was taught to read. They would buy children's books about the Bible or Bible Mm -hmm. characters or whatever and, and read those to me. And then I also went to parochial schools in California for first and second grade. So it wasn't a long time, but very much included in those studies as well. Sometimes if people have been raised in a certain tradition, they come to a point in their life where they're exploring and have a time where they question everything that they did know to say, is this really the path I want to be on? Did you have a time like that of figuring out, was, was this right what I was taught, what I have believed? Well, my parents facilitated that. They basically said they would not allow me to join a church until I was 18. Interesting. Uh, they wanted it to be an adult decision. And I ended up not affiliating until I was 22. I think that worked out really well for me. It may not be good for everyone, but uh, when I did it, I knew what I was doing. And I was an adult, and I actually did it with my boyfriend because we both decided both sets of our parents were both different religions. And we didn't like that because they never went to church together. There never was a family kind of thing like that. Mm. And we wanted to be different. We wanted to be rowing in the same direction. And so we actually joined the group that we belonged to about a month before we were married. 
What did you think your relationship with God was? Very personal Mm -hmm. and less corporate. I talk to God while I'm driving down I-15, dodging traffic, and I'll be speaking to him in two-word sentences, or maybe I'll get a whole sentence out. But maybe it's, thank you so much for this gorgeous sunrise. I cannot believe how you have the time to worry about something like that that's so wonderful. (laughs) Or, boy, I really blew it yesterday. Will you please forgive me? I don't know what I need to do to fix what I just did, but please tell me which way to go so I can fix it. And so I'll have these little conversations that are just like I've got someone sitting beside me, which I do, and that's the way it is. I don't do the kneeling formal. I mean, I can do that, but I I don't do that on a daily basis. It's usually the informal stuff. Which is good because you're driving. Yeah. (laughs) 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 I'll do it other times too, but that's usually I have a lot of time on the road. So (laughs) So I'm wondering how you sense your answers. Is it in the events that happen thereafter or or feelings or or is it different? Sometimes it's a phone call you'll get that answers the question. Um, Sometimes the light bulb goes on in your own brain and you say, oh, that's how I'm supposed to do that Mm. or not supposed to do that. Sometimes I'll be in a meeting and someone will make a statement and it's exactly the question or the answer to the question that I had. Um, so it's, it's a variety of ways. I'm not hearing voices, that kind of thing. It's, it's more blended into my day that I get answers. And there are times when I don't get answers. And, uh, you know, obviously that's frustrating because I have my priorities, right? And I should be listened to. But I, there's a lot of stuff going on, and I can't imagine how complicated it is to try to manage everything. So whatever works, he's obviously smarter than I am, so it'll, it'll work out. <laughs> Aside from prayer, or maybe that is a main one, what are the things in the course of a day or a week that help you really make contact? Yeah. Well, part of it is is actually being a chaplain where you're talking to someone who's suicidal or that can't decide whether they should marry that person or doesn't know if they should change their major, you know, all kinds of things. And that's just the faculty and staff. <laughs> <laughs> not, not even the students. <laughs> that's not even the students. But sometimes you listen to them and you go, boy, you know, I remember when I did that or had that question. And then, for some reason, it connects to the thing that you'd been asking about. And so it's not a a straight line a lot of times. It's a zigzag a lot of times. (laughs) I think it's interesting that you talked about you wanted to be unified with your boyfriend Mm -hmm. and and, and be involved in the same belief Mm -hmm. system here. Mm -hmm. And yet you are also the chair of the Utah Valley Interfaith Mm -hmm. Association. Yes. So it sounds like... You do a lot of bringing people together. How, how does something like that work, interfaith association? It doesn't. There's no reason in the world why it should work, because we're all supposed to try to kill each other and, or at least gesture at one another and walk out. Mm. The way it works, though, is that you have people that want it to work. Mm. And you say, okay, let's go down to the Food and Care Coalition and serve lunch to the homeless. And you're standing next to a Muslim and a Presbyterian and a Baha'i. And you find out they're really nice people that aren't very good at serving food or or whatever. You know, you find out all this stuff about them and it levels the playing field and it it makes it work. 
And that's what we try to do with the interfaith thing is we aren't trying to convert anybody one way or another. We're not trying to prove that one or another is wrong or right. It's that we have religious liberty. And A, God gives it to us. He says, choose me or don't. Gives us the choice, which Mm -hmm. is really weird. I mean, if you think about it. And so we need to do the same thing with people around us. You have the right as an American citizen or as someone on the planet to freedom of religion. And even within a religion to do it differently. You can take a Mormon or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or whatever, and no one in that denomination believes exactly the same as the next person. They've That's read true. It, they've we, read it a little bit differently, or they, they've listened to different speakers, or they've read different versions of the Bible, or whatever it is, but they all believe differently, and we need to recognize that. You have so much experience managing a business. In fact, my take on this is that you are such an able administrator mm-hmm. that you are often asked to help with community-wide events, big deal things that I could mention, uh, Fourth of July celebrations and, and other major events. Do you have those abilities in part because of, of your belief, or is that are those gifts that God gave you, or how do you tie in what you do in the business world and administration and all of this with your faith? Yeah, that, thanks for such a simple question. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I think that we are created to fill a niche, every one of us, that no one else can do. So I'm going to drive down the freeway. And I'm going to meet different people that I can wave at or otherwise, and no one else is there right then. So if someone's pulled off to the side of the road with a flat tire, I can stop or not. Hmm. It's one of the things I've learned about living in the West that I love. If you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're pulled off alongside the road, everybody who comes by you, if you're lucky, will stop. And they'll check and make sure you're okay. We care about each other. It seems in kind of the Wild West sort of thing. Mm. And I, I like that. But I think that everything that we do from the minute we're born till the day we die, it all programs us to respond to different things that no one else can. So we're all experts in Linda. I'm a, I'm a Linda expert of everything that I've had. No one else has had those experiences. So then when I get called in to do something, I can do it differently or better than anyone else could. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. I'm not sure if that answers all of your question. It was pretty complicated. Oh, but that's a good insight. So you mentioned that you don't always get answers right away. Mm-mm. Have you had times when you thought, okay, this this has been a little longer than I was hoping for? Yeah. Uh, what do you do? Do you just have faith through those sort of dry spells? Oh, no, I get mad and throw throw things tip over furniture. I'm Italian for heaven's sakes. I mean, (laughs) you never know what's going to happen. You know, my father uh, was in the hospital with a a bad illness, but the the doctors and nurses gave him the wrong medicine and it killed him. Mm. And he was only 64. I'm trying to still figure out why and what good that did me. (laughs) You know, what? why was that a a thing that needed to happen on on the list of everything that needs to be done? I don't know. You just have to realize that you're not going to understand. You're not going to get answers. Uh, Things aren't going to work out sometimes, and that's just the way it is. And you can get angry about it, or you can just say, okay, well, I'm just going to move along in the same direction. It seems the best thing for me, from Mm. my perspective. 
and let me know if anything changes, you know, and I'll tweak it. But, uh, but for now, this is what I'm going to do, and that, that's all you can do. Have your beliefs ever caused you difficulties in interpersonal relationships or business, anything like that? Um, it's, it's interesting that you would say that because I'm living in an area that is 85% one religion, and I am not of that religion. And one would think that I've had a lot of problems, and I've literally had none with a couple of exceptions. There was one person that would not hire me because I wasn't the predominant faith, and then a couple of other situations. And the thing that was interesting is those people would be idiots regardless of their faith. (laughs) Wherever they were. Whatever denomination they were, they were not nice people. They were Mm. bad people. And it had nothing to do with their faith. I can't criticize that religion because of that one person. And I think a lot of times people do that. They say, well, you know, I had this experience with this person and I would never step in that building again or whatever. And it, I mean, really, you know, we just can't do that. It's, it's not fair to anybody because there are so many really wonderful people in every faith group that are absolutely earnest in what they're doing. We often talk about faith as a journey. In fact, you have already today. Um, do you feel like you're in a, a different place than you were two decades ago? Oh, yeah. I'm in a different place than I was two minutes ago. I was just meeting with someone who was having a very bad day, challenges with business, personal, right on down the line. And I listen to that, and I think about my life. And yeah, I've got challenges too, but I've got so many great things. I mean, back to my boyfriend. Uh, We've been married now for 40 years as of March. And he is perfect. He is the best man on the planet. You know, how much better can it get than that? (laughs) Uh, We have a son who is a, a police detective. And his wife is also a police officer. And we've got three gorgeous granddaughters. We have employment. We have food. You can breathe the air, kind of. <laughs> Not right now so much. But, you know, there's so many blessings. Yeah, It's just amazing. I, I have nothing that I could complain about. Now, obviously, there are things in the world, political and otherwise, that are going on I don't like. But I can't do anything about most of that. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Just the business that you run, mm-hmm. that you are the president of, for most people, will occupy all of their time. Mm-hmm and maybe a little bit of recreation. What is it that motivates you to give time to be a chaplain or to be on a board of an organization or to do community work? My parents, again, were great leaders in that sort of thing. My mom was a registered nurse, but she decided rather than working as a nurse, she was like a head surgical nurse, so she was a big deal. She worked with the Red Cross and taught first aid classes. And she was very active in the PTA and a number of things like that. My dad was in the Elks Lodge, the Lions Club, Chamber of Commerce, a bunch of other things. So they were always very active in the community, and they cared about their neighbors. They cared about their city, and they were active politically as well. So I'm sure that's where I got it. They were very good examples that way. Also, when you're working in business, though, you find out about things um, that you don't find out otherwise. So whether I'm at a Chamber of Commerce meeting or just visiting a client in a certain neighborhood and I see homeless people on the street, there are a lot of people that say, well, we don't have any homeless people in this area because everything's perfect here. No one smokes or drinks or does drugs or, you know, has unnecessary babies or whatever. 
uh, everything's perfect here. And they're absolutely wrong. Mm. If you are out in the community doing things, you're going to know what's really going on. And we've got homeless children here coming out of our ears. And we've got people with drug problems or whatever, and they can't fix it themselves. Somebody has to help them. And that's what we're here for. That's the basis of religion, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Golden rule is in every kind of scripture, from the Bible to the Quran and everything in the middle. It's in there. And that's the basis of every religion. Is that where you find joy? Oh, yeah. Helping, <laughs> helping with that. Don't even get me going because, I mean, you feed somebody that's hungry. <laughs> mm. There's nothing like it. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, even talking with students that are just freaking out about what they want to major in. If you can help them and get them calmed down and tell them that teachers care about them, we all are rooting for them, that's what they needed that day. And it'll get them through, and they'll make a decision and move on. So to be able to give, really, that's love to me, to give love that way in those variety of ways, do you have to do something to be filled with that in the first place to give that? Well, that's what God does. I mean, you know, you eat, you drink, you do religion, whatever it is that you do. And each of those things provides something that sustains you physically, mentally, spiritually. You know, you can encourage it or you can discourage it. You can eat potato chips all day or you could have a piece of fruit once in a while. (laughs) Something with a vitamin in it, you know. (laughs) The same with religion or with your mental situation. You know, you can help control it and and do things that will be positive for your, your thoughts and your actions. Is faith something very practical to you, your belief in God? Uh, it's just sort of solid and, and trustworthy that it's always there to grab onto? Or is it mysterious to you or somewhere sliding on that scale? Well, it's always mysterious because you think about how many people there have been and are on the planet and that God's doing the personal thing with every single one of them. I mean, his iPhone is busy, you know, mm-hmm. honestly. Obviously, I don't understand. It's mysterious how he does that and controls everything. So, yeah, that's, that's the one angle. The solid and practical portion of it is that we need to be involved with our, our mind, our body, and our spirit. We need to do all three of those things, and they're all important. If we have got a horrible physical situation going on, we aren't very nice to people. We Mm. don't do religion except other than to get healed, (laughs) you know. And so you need to have all three things going on. It's like when you go to the doctor and they say, well, here, take this pill. I'm immediately suspicious because I'm thinking, you didn't ask about my diet or my exercise. You don't know uh, what my stress level is. You didn't even do a blood test. You just say, take this medicine. And that concerns me. It's got to be holistic medicine, and everything else. So there's a spiritual corollary to that as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to, well, it's kind of like faith versus works. Everybody argues about that. So are we going to argue about whether tithing is on 10% of gross or net? Okay, if we're worrying about that, we got some major problems. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the biggest problem. No, no, it's definitely not the biggest problem. But you look at all the different angles of a spiritual life as well. Some of it's very practical. You know, it's it's not mysterious at all. Other parts you really can't explain when a prayer is answered and someone's healed. Explain that. I, I can't. Yeah. It's an absolute miracle. 
What is the Sabbath day to you? Do you have a a different routine, a different feeling about yeah. a Sabbath day? Yeah, I'm more traditional about Sabbath, uh, going back to Jesus' time where it was Friday night sundown, Saturday night sundown. So that gives away a little bit of maybe what my faith group is. But it's a different kind of thing. It's something that you look forward to and you prepare for all week. So, and it's not just making food ahead and making sure your clothes are clean and, you know, the the tasks of the day, but it's actually starting to slow down a little bit, kind of detox from whatever's been going on during the week, maybe go out for a walk, get everything cleared out, and then you can sit down and actually just listen hmm. and and absorb it. Obviously, going to church and having potluck and all the different things that go on that we have identified as being religious activities, those things go on. But there are days when I go up the canyon and we take a picnic and we just go for a walk. And we say, boy, you know, God created all this. Can you believe it? And for no reason except to make us happy. You know, it's just gorgeous because it's beautiful autumn leaves or or whatever. The leaves could have just fallen off. They didn't have to go orange and yellow and red, you know. So, I mean, is that a religious experience? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I suppose if you have the eyes to see it. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to appreciate those things. And maybe it's a day where you go over to the coalition or Habitat or wherever and you volunteer all day. And you say, boy, you know, I've been able to give people a little piece of God by helping them. And is that a religious thing to do? Yeah. I had the chance to be at the Western Wall on a Friday evening, the beginning of Sabbath, and to see Jews of various, both Orthodox and Reformed Jews, conservative Jews, coming in and all gathering there. And when the singing began, and it was all sung about Shabbat, Shabbat, Mm -hmm. Shabbat Shalom, the the peace of the Sabbath be with you. And I thought, this is a lesson to me on how to, they are joyfully welcoming the Sabbath, and too often I've been thinking, okay, well, I have to put that off till Monday because I'm observing my Sabbath. Yeah. It's another job description. You know, you've got three meetings and four services, and you've got to remember your tithing and be sure I dress right and make sure the kids are handled and the food's ready to go. And, you know, we'll come back and eat peanut butter sandwiches because we've only got 15 minutes to eat. <laughs> you know, we've got to take the bull by the horns and say, no, we're going to worship God and not religion. Mm. Big difference. I don't know if that distinction gets talked about enough. No, I don't think so either. Well, I think we've, we're kind of the 10% you're in crowd. If, I'm, if I pay tithing and go to church and dress modestly, then I'm going to heaven. Really? I mean, really, guys? No, that isn't the way it works. You may do those things, yes. But it doesn't equal pleasing God or going to heaven or whatever your goal is. It's two different things. And we need to look at if somebody's sitting next to us at church and they're crying through the whole service, you need to do something about it. You need to get them out in the hall and talk to them and say, what's going on? Well, I just lost my job, and now I don't have benefits either, and what am I going to do? That's what you're there for. Those are the burdens that need to be borne. Yes, and you need to be there as a brother or sister to help that person with whatever resources you have or what you can find. And if that isn't part of religion, that's better than a sermon. That's better than anything I can think of. It's a direct experience where you can apply what you have learned, and maybe you'll learn some new things too. As you think about God as you understand God, 
and someone gave you a soapbox, and for just, you know, 30 seconds, everybody in the world can hear what you had to say. <laughs> do you have a little speech prepared, or no, what? how do you think you would? I don't have anything prepared, oh, but, okay. um, you know, I'm looking forward to heaven when I can go and curl up in God's lap and talk to him, hmm. because I look at him as a papa. I'm not scared of him. Same with Jesus. He's my brother. We could go and have a picnic, and that would be great. And I think part of that is because of the way I was raised, the way my parents were, and I had such great relationships with my parents and with other friends and family. That's the way I look at it. I'm not afraid of God. I probably should be because I'm a sinner, and he could go zap, and I'm nuked. Hmm. He could do that, and I would deserve it, and he would have done the right thing. But I I look at it as, you know, hopefully what will happen. And it's going to be such an incredible experience. Very personal. He knows everybody by name. I mean, knows all of their history. It's all in there. The computer base is unbelievable. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Getting there and having to watch all the bad things that we watch every day with terrible disasters and other things, it's horrible. And, and he doesn't like it either. So it'll be over as soon as it can be. What should I ask you that I don't know to ask you? <laughs> uh, well, I think one thing that I would like to suggest to everyone who might be listening is that they get involved in charity. We have a lot of charities that struggle. In our particular area, we've had a number of them, and I mean hundreds, go bankrupt because they didn't do, and this is the PR angle, the market research to find out that there were eight other groups doing wheelchairs for veterans or whatever. So they didn't do well. So the impulse is good, impulse is but there perfect. needs to be some... They need to treat it like a business and find out how to do it. But to get involved in those groups, help them financially and with the, the staffing that they need, with the items that they need, and do it every month. Don't do it just at Easter and Christmas when everybody gets charitable. <laughs> you know, if it's donating $5 a month, great, do it. If it's taking canned food to the food pantry, do that. Check on your neighbors, whatever your thing is, and it's going to be your personality, your gifts that have been given to you that will dictate what you do. But do that all the time, and that's going to strengthen your religious experience, and it's going to help people in the community, and it's going to make God really happy. I think another thing with all of the, the dissonance that's going on in the world, the one thing I'm really concerned about is the Bill of Rights, particularly the first where we have freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, all of those things. It's ironic that they're all together. Hmm. You know, they must be tied in for some reason. And that may be why I've been a journalist and a PR person and whatnot, as well as, as being religiously involved, because I think it's hard to do one without the other. Um, I think we need to realize that it is under fire and that we are on the verge of losing those freedoms. And someday we're going to be worshiping in the basement whenever we can can do it just to not be killed in a church somewhere, which is a possibility. I feel like we really need to write to our congressmen and whomever else about our religious liberty, about our other liberties. I think even though the media may be irritating we need to realize if we don't have them, we've got big troubles because we aren't going to know what's going on. Uh, we need to start going to city council meetings and other activities where you're writing your congressman or whatever to express your opinion. 
we need to do that. Freedom of speech is so much a part of religion. Freedom of religion, freedom of assembly. If you aren't even allowed to assemble in a, in a church, yikes, that's a problem, guys. I would slap you around, but I'm supposed to be a pacifist. <laughs> we need to wake up and realize what's going on. And I don't want to say end times or whatever, but we've got to just be careful of what we're doing and do whatever we can to protect what we have because we've got a great place. We've got to appreciate it, and we've also got to work for it. Linda Walton, you're a community volunteer. You're an interfaith association president. You're a chaplain. You're a business owner. You're also a believer. And thank you for speaking with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, we'll hear from a panel of listeners discussing some of the ideas brought up by Linda Walton. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. In the first half of the show, we spoke with Linda Walton. She talked about a kind of prayer that's just a natural, ongoing conversation throughout the day, and about how to work together with other believers. Do those ideas resonate with you? We invited a group of people to listen to Linda and then respond. Chuck Sims has lived in or visited 27 countries while serving in the U.S. Air Force for 21 and a half years. He has eight children, six grandchildren, and works as an IT engineer at BYU Broadcasting. David Pratt learned about beauty and fine things from his five daughters, then learned to run fast and compete from the two sons that followed. His wife, Tamara, is patient and forgiving. Clarilyn Martin-Hill is a retired attorney who works with children and is now a full-time grandma of 18. Lynn Christofferson has been mostly a mother for two decades. She's a musician, published author, animal lover, and is newly a grandmother. Linda talked about this idea of uh, implicit faith. Basically, he will work things out. Things will work out. And how, at least in her prayers, the answers that came kind of blended into her day. That was her phrase, blended into her day. I like that for a couple of reasons. Sometimes I feel like as humans, we try to force faith. We actually try to force not only ourselves, but try to force God, kind of making this uh, side deal. Okay, I'm going to pray. Now give me the answer. And it's almost like now I need it. And yet that's not, at least in my own life, that's not really how things have ever worked out. It seems like um, for me anyway, it's when I'm in the service of others that I seem to get more answers. It's not in necessarily in the moment when I'm actually seeking the answer, but it, it kind of reveals itself throughout the day. So when I, when I talk about implicit faith or when I think about implicit faith, it's actually faith that allows me to receive the answer later rather than wanting it right now. I agree. To me, it was interesting the way she described getting answers, and it made me think of times when people have have described a traumatic or stressful experience and said, what is the answer? What am I supposed to learn from this? And sometimes my counsel has been just slow down and, and wait, and maybe the first thing you think is not 
exactly what you were supposed to learn from this. And I, I've found that recently I've been writing my own little personal history, and I find that I'll write things that happened years ago, and I'll have insights into what that meant to me and how important that lesson was. And it's, it seems to me that our whole life is an opportunity to learn and to grow and to, and to get answers, and we can't demand them at the very moment that we have an experience. I have a 20-year-old daughter who has been struggling with finding a direction for her life, and we had a discussion recently about how it's one thing to sit and ask God to direct her every movement, and you sit and wait until he speaks, and then you'll be happy to move. But I offered the idea that maybe it's easier to receive those answers when you are already moving. And I liked what Linda said when it seems like answers are coming. She said, sometimes I just decide I'm going to just keep moving along in this same direction. And uh, if he thinks differently, he can let me know. But, uh, but I'm going to keep moving, and I like that idea. I agree. My my wife is going through some uh, difficult uh, health issues right now, and seems like everything hurts. Uh, and it's been going on for a long time. And and she uh, is somewhat impatient for this to be done with, you know, so she can get on with her life and feel better and do things that she wants to do. And and uh, I'm maybe being a little too personal here, but. There's some concern from my standpoint that maybe she's not doing the things that she needs to to get the strength from God that she needs to do. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in our in our physical issues and in our and our problems that we're having that we fail to tap into that source of comfort that we can have. Um, that helps us to get through these things. The answers don't come right away, but, but we can hang on until they do, and we can keep pressing forward, uh, as Lynn said, and eventually we find out where, what, what the answers are. Yeah, I guess the thought that comes to me is, does faith have a, have a checkbook balance? And once you exhibit so much faith, your balance is zero, and now you can't have faith anymore. At what point do we decide that faith is faith and we're just going to trust? I think we make those decisions every minute of our lives, and it's a constant effort. When Linda was talking about, she kind of made a distinction. You know, she talked a lot about service as a way of moving forward and learning and receiving inspiration, but she also talked about sort of more the mystical, the nature, being out in nature and just reaching out to, to God's spirit. And I think both are, are really important. And I think sometimes, as Chuck said, you know, we forget that more spiritual side of just seeking spiritual comfort. And I guess in some ways that does go back to the whole notion of are we afraid of God or do we trust and and accept his love? And for me, there's enough to be afraid of. You know, I have a lot of things to be afraid of in this world, and I'm I really like the idea that we get to just rely on God and trust in him and accept 
his love and his support and his help in this world that is so full of problems. Yeah, there, there's one thing that I liked the the part that she talks about service too for kind of a, a, a slightly different reason. If we accept that God is involved in our lives and that he is working with us throughout this life, I think one of the invitations that God gives us is to serve our fellow men, to love others. I find that for me anyway, the more I do that, the more I understand what it means for God to be involved in my life as well. I literally put myself in, in a very mortal kind of a way in God's shoes as I work with others. So whether that's you know, helping, helping the needy, whether that's talking to one of my children or working with a colleague at work, either way, I am, it's a very personal thing. And here's, here's another thing that kind of interests me as a contrast. I look at the things that make us have non-personal relations. So things that might detract from a one-on-one experience. Just sitting at a computer looking at social media. As interesting as that is, and it can be interesting, it also isn't personal. Rarely is it personal. It's a much more impersonal thing. And I find that I'm not able to touch someone's life very often. Now, I know there's exceptions, but very often you can't really touch a person through social media the way you can by going down to a food bank and working with somebody shoulder to shoulder sorting cans or going out to someone who might need help, a neighbor who needs to move in. You know, there, there's just a different experience. And I, I think as humans, we're meant to have the personal experience, not the, not the impersonal one. You know, and I think when we're involved in, in service to others, then we tend to forget all the troubles that are going on in our own lives. And it makes those things seem a, a little less important. I am definitely an introvert and a homebody. And so it's my natural inclination to, and even my hobbies are very um, individual, just things I can do in my office at home. And so I sometimes get so engrossed in those things and engrossed in myself and overanalyzing myself. And so I loved Linda's. I I feel like her religion is very practical and applied, very active. I loved her emphasis on you've got to be out there and and make those connections. And as she does, then she sees the, the other needs. She sees what's truly out there in the community. And that, that was a good reminder for me because I'm not so socially in, inclined. And yet I'm much happier when I have stepped out of my comfort zone and made personal connections and served. And like you said, stepped away from the computer or the piano or what, whatever is using my time. And uh, maybe going to volunteer at the refugee center or that kind of thing. I, I'm like Lynn. I'm an introvert, and I think it's something I always have to fight. And, you know, I'm just reminded of something that's happened to me recently in my life. I had two friends who've had children, adult children, die 
untimely deaths. And the first one, I went to the viewing and I felt awkward because I'm kind of an introvert. I didn't know anyone there except the mother. And then the next one, I didn't go because I had felt awkward at the other one. And uh, I went to visit him at his home and he just sat there with tears going down his face saying how much it meant to him all the people who came to the funeral. And I, I thought, we don't know the difference we can make by, by making that step out of our comfort zone to reach out to people. And I think we just need to remember to get out of our own way sometimes. <laughs> and she talked a, a little bit about, uh, you know, the things going on in the world. And I, I like the, the one statement she, she made, you know, I can't do anything about most of that. And that is absolutely true. There's so many things. And, and I find, you know, if, if I'm, you know, trying to quantify my fear factor, most of the fear or the anxiety that happens in my life is coming from sources that I can't do a thing about. And yet, I can go to a funeral. And that actually ends up bringing me peace. And I've started to do this in my own life is kind of turn down those things that I can't do anything about. I'll, I'll, I just stop. I, I mean, I, I'm a news junkie. I love listening to the news, but I can't watch it anymore. As far as reading it, I'm kind of starting to tone that down a bit because I can't do anything about most of that. But I can, again, you know, go to a funeral or I can help a neighbor move in or I can – go to a high school basketball game and watch, you know, watch the kids and just enjoy being there for the sake of being there with my community. And, and it's so much fun to do that. And it also, interestingly enough, ends up bringing me peace as opposed to the impersonal stuff that I can't do anything about. I liked her statement that we are created to fill a niche and that Everything that we do, all of our past experiences, our childhood, our education, whatever, has programmed us uniquely to respond a certain way so we can fill a need that maybe somebody else couldn't. And I'm like you as far as I can't watch a lot of news without feeling very upset. And I think part of that is because we feel helpless, but her idea of Yes, there are things that we can do to just fill that one little area for someone. And then you feel relief because you could do something and you don't have to just have nightmares at night over the news. And I loved her idea that if you do that, God will fill in the rest. And that has certainly been my experience. There are times when you just move forward using whatever abilities you may have and yet you get strengthened because you did that. A story along those lines, um, I used to help run uh, a local festival uh, that was a large festival here here in town. And there was a couple that every year their job was to lay out the stakes, literally to pound the stakes into the lawn where people would set up their booths. You know, you might think that that's just no big deal, but it was a huge deal for me as the organizer to have that done. And the funny thing was for them, it was a huge deal for them 
they gained so much joy. They would attend every one of our committee meetings, even though we were talking about things that had nothing to do with the layout, but they would attend every committee meeting. They just loved being a part and having that role of laying out the stakes. And they took a lot of pride in that particular job. And in the end, I learned to appreciate every single person regardless of what they, whether they were in charge of all of the musical acts or all of the uh, getting actually signing up the vendors, getting the booths. I, I just learned that every single person was extremely valuable. And it's, it's kind of like watching an orchestra. When you, when you actually watch an orchestra play, one of the most amazing things is that every single instrument is playing different pieces and yet it comes together in this really beautiful whole and you can imagine what would happen if you took out like the flute section or the percussion and how that would change the entire experience an orchestra is what it is because of all those different pieces and you really can't say that the percussion's more important than the violins or that the violas are more important than the flutes. They're all important, and you can't do without any one of them. So what that does for me is it gives me hope that maybe when I go out of my way and serve in the community, even though I don't have some super ability in some area, that whatever I have to bring, whatever gift I have, will be enough. It'll actually contribute to... To the overall experience of, of my, my area, my community, and humanity as a whole. You're listening to a conversation in good faith with a group of listeners sharing their thoughts on the first half of today's show with Linda Walton. Now back to the conversation. Let's talk for a bit about this personal relationship with God. Linda talked about that she talks to him when she's driving on I-15. You know, sometimes I talk, but it's to other the drivers. <laughs> but it really struck a chord with me because uh, I kind of feel the same way. I feel like I've, I've got that personal relationship. And, and I think that's one of the things that helps me not to fear God. The other uh, thing that uh, Linda talked about that kind of goes along with that was this whole idea of that God has done these things, talking about the beauty of the, the, the leaves in the canyon or, or the beauty of nature, uh, the beauty of a sunrise. Uh, he's done these for no other reason than to make us happy. And the, and the idea that, uh, that God knows me personally and is doing what he does so that I'll be happy is just such an uplifting thing for me. It, colors uh, my uh, relationship with him and also my relationship with others. Decades ago, I had a conversation with a gentleman about God and the nature of God, and he was telling me a little bit about his background and his thoughts about who God was, and I shared some of mine. And he paused and he said, so you're telling me that God loves us? And he seemed so surprised by that thought, and I was taken aback by that. But as he he shared his parents' belief, you know, that God was angry and vengeful, and basically he spent his whole life waiting for the thunderbolt to be thrown at him when he did something wrong. And we had many opportunities to speak together after this about God. And as he came to understand more about him and 
and his loving nature and view him as a father. Like Linda said, she imagines herself curling up in God's lap because he's her papa. And as my friend began to view God in this way, he felt so freed from those fears that he had had before. And just I could see the joy in him to think, I have a God, I have a Father that loves me. There's no lightning bolt involved. Regardless of what we do, regardless of the mistakes that we make, regardless of the times that we, that we do things that obviously offend him, he still loves us. He still reaches out to us and wants to bring us in and, and envelop us in that, in that loving, very personal, uh, very warm relationship, I think. And he knows we'll make mistakes. He knows us. He knows that's our nature. So we shouldn't be too surprised when we make a mistake or think that he can't love us in spite of it. One of the things that I really enjoyed listening to Linda talk about was the Sabbath and the notion of all the details of Sunday or or whatever day you celebrate the Sabbath and all the religious aspects versus worship, God versus religion. Um, which she talked about. And I I think so often we can get caught up in these little details that actually perhaps pull us away from the original intent, which is to worship God and to commune and to actually feel His love and His Spirit in our lives. And um, I really appreciated her thoughts on that, that, that this is a time to just – she even talked about – slowing down even before the Sabbath begins and doing things that will help us to renew and and to remember. And I think that's something really important rather than just getting into all the details of religion. Yeah, the phrase that caught my my thoughts was detox (laughs) from the week and how the Sabbath can be that purging or that, you know, letting go of the things from the week. Of course, for it to be that, it has to be different. It can't be the same. You, you know, the activities need to be uh, maybe a little bit different, focused a little more on maybe listening, pondering, listening to our inner selves, listening to the the, the thoughts that come to us. Certainly prayer uh, can play a huge role in that. But however we go about detoxing, I think is so important, especially in today's world. Again, you know, the world, the things we can't control seem to be happening faster and faster and yelling louder and louder. And so being able to turn that off and just listen makes a huge difference in our lives. And that also goes along with the whole idea of when you're detoxing from the world and you're connecting with people – all of a sudden your faith in people is restored. It's, it's like you, you know that people are still fundamentally good. They're doing good things. And, hey, I love my neighbor. He's a great person because I can go down and talk to him and, and just enjoy the time that I have with him. Linda must be very good at that. Um, I have to bring up my favorite statement of what she said, and this is when she was questioned about – Has your particular faith been maybe a barrier or caused issues with other people? And she said, you know, there might have been some very small incidents. But what I loved is she said, those people would be idiots no matter what their faith. 
And I, I thought that was very big of her that she can see it that way. You know, living in a community, she said, which is predominantly one faith, and she happens to be not of that faith, and that she can give the benefit of the doubt to some of those idiots in the community. <laughs> and, and, and they are in every faith. But I believe that what she does on the Sabbath day actually allows her to be big-hearted enough to, to view it that way instead of being very irritated at those who maybe would oppose her beliefs or her choices. I just thought her comment was brilliant. As a people, we have a real tendency to uh, generalize uh, a culture's or a faith's um, attitudes based on the actions of a few. Uh, I was privileged to uh, serve 21 years in the Air Force uh, and had the opportunity to live in a variety of places uh, throughout the United States and throughout the world, uh, in Europe and Asia as well. And the one thing that I realized from that experience was that people everywhere really are about the same. They have the same needs, they have the same desires, they have the same goals at a very basic level and are generally very good people. Everywhere I went, um, I ran into people who were wonderfully kind and helpful and friendly uh, and not at all uh, the stereotype that people would think of, of them as being. I agree with you. I, you know, I've, I think about when we went to visit our son in West Africa and the families we met there and how in some ways I felt like I was on a different planet. But in other ways, I, they were the most amazing, wonderful people you could ever even imagine. And I, I find myself thinking, I hope that when I do stupid things, people know that it's not a reflection on my religion. And I'm hopefully just doing something idiotic, not actually an idiot. <laughs> but I think we all do idiotic things, and it, and we don't want anyone else to be judged by them. And uh, thankfully, the more, probably the reason Linda can do that is that she knows many other people who are members of that religion. And I think, for me, that's... Um, Something I've been blessed with, I've been blessed to know a lot of people of a lot of faiths. And so it isn't ever something that I that I would say, oh, everybody in that faith must be like that. And I hope that when I do idiotic things, people don't assume that about my religion as well. That's our time for today. Thanks to our panelists and especially to Linda Walton for sharing her stories, her humor and her faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds tell their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. We hope you found value in today's conversation. We welcome your thoughts and ideas. Reach out anytime via email ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Our shows are archived online for listening or sharing at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. Subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced with help from Marcus Smith and Christine Knuckleby. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join with us again soon, right here in good faith. <laughs>